Pretty good today? Yeah. Sorry we're not outside, but um, the Lord had different plans. You know, we put our faith in uh, the meteorologists. Yeah, I know. That's a scary thing. I mean, where else can you make that kind of money and be wrong about 50% of the time and still keep your job? I've never had a job like that. But um, for those of you who are with us for the first time, we're just so glad that you're here. We wanted to be outside, but here we are inside, and we're still able to worship and still able to hear from God's Word. And I know that we all come from different backgrounds. But for those of you who grew up in the church, have you ever heard this little number? We don't play cards, drink, smoke, or chew, and we don't go out with girls who do. Yeah, okay. So I know that you've probably heard this before, or some variation of it. And there may be some other pithy little sayings that are designed to help us remember the rules, right? And there may be a number of other rules that we're omitting here, but my question is, is there somewhere a written set of rules that we're judged by? You know, is God kind of like Santa Claus, right? He's sitting up in heaven and he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty, who's nice. Is there a set of rules somewhere? There must be. Well, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard that the list is actually much longer than that little rhyme I shared a moment ago. You could add to it things like, Christians don't go to movies. They don't read novels. Women don't wear pants, let alone shorts. Women shouldn't wear too much jewelry or much, if any, makeup. Men shouldn't wear jewelry except a wedding band. And the list could go on and on and on. And the, and the rules for pastors, wow, when you look at this, I'm in a lot of trouble here. Because it says pastors must always wear a coat and tie. Oops. Black suits to funerals. A pastor must drive a nice but conservative car. Not a convertible. Not, you can't even drive a Jeep. There goes my convertible Camaro, right? I wonder what they would say about a pickup truck. And I know that this list here is pretty old because if it were more recent, it would certainly say something about tattoos, right? Yeah, it would. But you know, if we're honest, throughout the history of the church, there have been rules police. And these rules police have wielded authority on how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to act. You know, they determine what we can do, where we can go, what we can eat or drink, and how we should dress. And I'll be honest with you, it's one of the reasons that I turned my back on the church all those years ago. I didn't get it. I mean, to me, the church seemed to be just a list of rules, you know, thou shalt not this, and thou shalt not that, and thou shalt not have any fun. And if you do break a rule, you know, God's sitting up there, you know, and he's ready with his holy lightning bolt to just, boom, smite you. 
I remember when I was really young, the kids across the street who went to a Christian church, I won't tell you what denomination, because there's a lot of forgiveness here, right? There's a lot of healing. But these kids told me that I was going to hell because I ride my bike on Sunday. And I'm like, come on, I, I don't get this. You know, show me in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not ride thy bike on Sunday. You know, I realize that one of the commandments instructs us to keep the Sabbath holy, but you know what? It doesn't get into a lot of detail on exactly how you do that. It seems that some think that riding your bike defiles the Lord's day. I disagree. And I can do that because rules like that, they're not biblical. Those rules are man-made. Now today we continue in our series of messages from the book of Colossians. And Colossians, just four short chapters, but it's filled with the truth about Jesus Christ, the good news. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul has written to the Colossians. He goes to great lengths to outline the fundamentals of the truth of the gospel. Throughout the letter, Paul's making the point that all we need for life and salvation is found in Jesus Christ. You know, the emptiness that we may feel, you know, that God-shaped hole that we talked about last week, that void that we try so hard to fill with so many different things, right? We keep pouring in their money and power and drugs and alcohol and sex. That hole, friends, can only be filled by Jesus Christ. It is the fullness of Christ that flows out and into us and makes us complete. And last week we saw that our debt of sin, the, de- the, the, the debt that demands payment, the debt that we could never pay, it's nailed to the cross, paid for by the shed blood of Jesus, the only one, the only one that could pay that debt and reconcile us to a holy God. And what Paul is doing here is he's charging the Colossians, and us, of course, Paul's talking to us as well, he's charging us to hold fast to that truth, to remain disciplined and firm in our faith in Christ. See, Paul wants to make sure that we are not swayed by the shifting sands of false doctrine. And make no mistake, friends, Satan would like nothing better than to draw us away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're going to learn today is that the Colossians were facing false teachings. They were facing a lot of man-made rules. And Paul is going to show us today that not only are we alive in Christ, but we have freedom in Christ as well. Freedom from the tyranny of man-made rules. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to focus on verses 16 to 23 mainly. And what we're going to find is that Paul is... 
continuing to build on what he's previously written. We saw how he did that in the passage that we looked at last week, and we see it again here because at the beginning of the passage that we're going to look at, he starts with that word again, right? He starts with, therefore. And when we see that word, we know that we need to look back to what was previously written. In this case, we look back specifically to verse 8. And we talked about verse 8 last week, but let's take a look at it again. In verse 8, Paul writes this. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive, literally meaning to make you a slave. No one makes you captive to... Uh, where am I at? By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, in verses 16 to 23, Paul's going to go on to describe for us what those philosophies are, what that empty deceit is. See, the elemental spirits of the world... They were trying to lead the Colossians astray. And in much the same way, those things are still at work in the world today. And Paul is going to show us how those don't lead us to freedom. Those lead us into slavery. Now, this passage in 16 to 23 consists of three major exhortations, three imperatives for the Colossians and for us. And the first imperative is this. Don't let anyone judge you based on religious performance. In other words, don't let anyone tell you that your salvation depends on anything other than Christ and the work of the cross. Remember, we don't earn our way into heaven. There's nothing that we do that will save us. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how many good deeds we do. It doesn't matter how much money we give to charity. Only the shed blood of Jesus Christ will save us. That and nothing more. Second imperative, don't let anyone cheat you. Don't let anyone steal what you've been given. In other words, don't let anyone offer you something of lesser value and trade that for the immeasurable value of the truth of Christ. And the third imperative, knowing what you know, knowing the basics of the gospel, knowing the fundamentals, don't go back and submit to regulations and rules. You know, you once walked in that, but in Christ you've been made alive, you've been made new. So those are the three points that Paul makes. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Let's look a little bit more closely. So Paul writes in verse 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And clearly, this is the first imperative that we talked about. Don't let anyone judge you based on performance. Don't let anyone judge you based on what you eat or drink or with regard to you know, rituals or religious observances or what you do on Sunday, for that matter, like riding your bike. And 
what Paul is doing here is he's aiming straight at those false teachers, right? He's aiming straight at the Judaizers. If you remember, we talked about this early on in the series, there were two influences that the Colossians were dealing with. They were influences from the Jewish side, and then there were influences from the Greek side. And here, Paul's taking aim at the Judaizers, who said that, that there was more needed, right? There was more needed. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, okay, but Jesus plus, right? Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus holy foods. Jesus plus rituals. And basically, what he's, what he's aiming at here is the observance of the Old Testament law of Moses under the Old Covenant. Now, if you know anything about the Old Covenant, you know that there was a sacrificial system that required sacrifices over and over and over again. The priests would continually have to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But friends, Christ ushered in the new covenant in his blood. And because of the once and for all sacrifice he made, Christians are now free from those legalistic requirements. Because, Paul tells us in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, these elements, these rules from the Mosaic law, they were good at that time. They were necessary for that time, but they merely pointed forward. They pointed forward to Jesus Christ and what he would do and what he would be. Now that the Colossians have received Christ, now that they have the reality, as Paul refers to it, days foods, observed rules, they're not binding. They're not binding for those under the new covenant in Christ. It's not their works. It's not their religious observances. It's not the sacrifices, but Christ in them. In verse 18, we find the second imperative. There Paul writes, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen and they're puffed up with their idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And really what Paul is saying here is don't let anyone condemn you based on religious experience. The Greek word here that's translated disqualify or condemn is better translated, like I said before, like cheat or defraud. Don't let anyone try to convince you of something lesser than the gospel and cheat you out of what you know to be true and what you've been taught. And when Paul talks about the false humility here in the worship of angels, again, he's addressing the false teachers that were troubling the Colossians and trying to lead them astray. This time, he's taking aim at the Greek influences the Gnostics who were teaching that there was a higher wisdom, right? That there was a higher truth, a higher level of spirituality to be achieved apart from Christ or even in addition to Christ. That's why Paul keeps touching on these themes over and over throughout the book. And what he tells us is the proper antidote to these lies 
and they are lies, the proper antidote, and Paul reiterates this over and over again, is more of Jesus holding fast to the truth of the gospel, standing firm in the fundamentals of the faith, knowing, knowing that these practices, right, the foods, the rituals, the religious days, the humility, the worship of angels, all these rules, none of these things, nor anything else for that matter, can make you any more spiritual. As a matter of fact, they leave you spiritually empty. And we know this, right? Because Paul has been teaching us, what is it that fills us? What is, it, what is it that makes us complete? What is it that makes us whole? Say it. It's Christ, right? Christ in us. And Paul reinforces this in verse 19 where he says, they, meaning the false teachers, have lost their connection with the head. And who is the head? We learn this in, in chapter 1, verse 18. Paul made it clear that who is the head? Jesus is the head of the church, right? Jesus is the head. They've lost their connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So really what Paul's doing here is he's restating something that we talked about last week from chapter 2, verse 7. Because if we are to grow... If we are to mature, and that is our goal, right? Is to grow in the faith and mature in Christ. If we're going to do that, it will only be because we are rooted, right? Rooted and built up. Established in the faith. And that only happens when we remain connected to Jesus. See, if, if the Colossians, or us, if we stray from Christ, the head of the church, if we do that, we will not experience the growth that God longs to produce in us. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be cheated by those who have strayed so far from Christ. And then we find the final imperative in verses 20 and 21, and it comes in the form of a question. There Paul asks... Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And you know, if you turn that around into a statement, it probably sounds something like this. Don't submit to rules and regulations as if you still belong to the world. And when we see these do nots, right? Do not, do not, do not. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like legalism, doesn't it? Sounds like following all the rules to get all the right stuff. But so many of these rules that we find ourselves subjected to, they're not from God. Right? I mean, don't ride your bike on Sunday. You know, don't... <laughs> Don't have a cold beer on a hot day? Don't dance at a wedding or anywhere else for that matter? Don't get a tattoo? These rules, 
as Paul goes on to say in verses 22 and 23, these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. See, the truth is that this kind of legalism focuses on what will not last. It has no eternal worth. These rules, they seem to have some kind of value, right? But they're powerless to produce change. And that is what we're after, right? In the end, these are just man-made rules. And to submit to them, to submit to what appears to be religion, is to submit to something that is in fact false. These regulations cannot transform us. They're not going to change our hearts, friends. Only Christ can do that. We have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. Freedom from rules and regulations. Freedom from the law. So let me ask you this. Does that mean that we can do anything we want to? Well, actually it kind of does. Because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, he's going to change your want-tos. Right? You are no longer going to live that way that you once did. You're going to make different choices. Because we want to become more and more like Christ, right? We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We are being sanctified. We can do what we want to because Jesus is going to change your want-tos. And the way we live, friends, is going to point others to him. That's one of the ways that we share the gospel. So you find yourself stuck in rules? You know, don't do, don't do, don't do trying to be good enough, you know, reaching up to God, trying to justify yourself by following all the rules. Paul is telling us, and he's been telling us all along, that's not how it works. We don't earn our way into heaven. We can never be good enough. We can never pay the debt that we owe to God. Only Jesus can do that. And friends, the good news is he has. He's done that for us. He's nailed our sin debt to the cross. It died with Him. See, it doesn't depend on anything that we do. It doesn't depend on anything we do. Paul writes elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. Friends, it's all about the grace of God. That's what saves us. Not following rules and regulations. What does it say in Ephesians 2? 
verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Paul wanted the Colossians and us to remember that. And he keeps reminding us that it's all about the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. Our worth, our identity, and our salvation is found not in what we can do for him, but what he's done for us. May we live in the freedom that comes only in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and praise you, Lord. You are an amazing God, and we just thank you so much for the sacrifice that your son made on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have, freedom from rules, freedom from regulations. Lord, we're, we're just so lucky that it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on us, because we could never do what your son did, and that is pay the debt for our sins. Father, we thank you for that and pray that you would help us to live in the freedom that you've provided through the work of the cross. Lord, hear our prayer, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.